For those of you at home, thank you for tuning in. For those of you here, thanks for coming back. It always means something when one looks out and there's an audience. Before I talk about what I'm going to talk about, um, I'm going to read the text for this morning. And it's in Luke 15, and I'm going to begin with verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Jesus, I thank you too for your presence Holy Spirit, I just pray that we would just have a sense of your sweetness among us. And may we get beyond language and personalities and all those kinds of things, God, to hear what you really want to teach us today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about what to do when you lose it. I'm really tempted to say when was the last time you lost it, but I'm not going to do that. And this morning we're focusing on the profound joy of restored relationships. There is an endless list of what you and I can lose. You can lose your temper. You can lose your wallet, your cell phone, your dignity. It usually happens before you go to or get to the hospital. You can lose your balance. You can lose a race. You can lose your reputation. You can lose a friendship. You can lose your sight, and you can lose your vision, which are two different things. You can also lose your passion. You can lose your perspective, your job, your peace, your joy. You can lose your granddaughter in Ikea, just saying. <laughs> you can even lose your sermon, which happened to me several days ago. Um, one morning, I woke up all excited for all the work I had done on my sermon, and it was gone. Nobody that I talked to could get my sermon back. It was a little bit like that Humpty Dumpty fellow. They couldn't put it back together. Some suggested that I deleted it accidentally. I really don't want to consider that option, but this is version 2.0. I don't know about you, but it freaks me out when in the middle of the night an amber alert wakes me up. And in my grogginess and grumpiness, it makes me lose my sense of calm and rest. 
until I realize that someone's loved one is missing and desperately in need of being found. I can't imagine the pain and agony when news, the news turns out bad, but I can imagine the joy and the relief and the delight and the gratitude when they find the child that was lost. I can imagine the emotion of receiving someone back. Few things are as rewarding as the healing of a broken relationship. And if you, like me, understand life, you know that, you know that sometimes it happens. Oftentimes it never does. And I think in both, both instances, we need to lean on God for the help that we need in that journey, especially when it doesn't turn out well. When it does happen, it can take days or years, and there is an overwhelming sense of joy that the, and the feeling that is hard to explain when it works. All you know in some times, in some places, in some circumstances, that you could hug someone that you never could for a long, long time. Sometimes it's a sibling, sometimes it's a long-lost friend, um, and it just comes together and it works, but often that's not the case. In our text this morning, Jesus tells us three stories about the significance of finding lost things that are valuable to us. But he also highlights the fact that it is even more profound and worthy of even greater celebration when lost people come back to God. It's the greatest joy. God has this endless compassion and grace and love for people far from him. I've known people, logical people, that say, well, they're really not far from God because God's everywhere, and that's technically true. But in their relationship with him, there's a distance. And God does everything that he can to woo us back to him, to draw us, to pull us, to compel us to himself. Because he wants people to come back to God. We are lost without Jesus. I speak the sober truth of the Bible that many times we don't like to hear. Sometimes preachers don't like to speak it because when they do, they, you say the words and they want to go like, ah, just in case. So this whole idea about people being lost, the truth is we're separated from God because of our sin and Blessed is the one that realizes the significance about a re, of a, a, a turning into a direction toward Jesus. The reason Jesus came from heaven to earth and became human was to restore our broken relationship with God. Nothing more and nothing less. The cross was all it was, it was about. Bridging the gap between condemnation toward us because of our sin and the loving grace of God. The greatest loss is that of your soul. And that's what Jesus died for, so that you could have that sense of eternal life in the deepest recesses of your very being. That eternal place in you that will one day stand before God to give an account of how you've lived your life, the essence of who you are, the center of your being, your soul. 
Some debate it, but I don't believe that. I believe that the only person that has a life-giving soul and spirit are human beings, not animals, not critters, not all kinds of things that we think are really cool and acceptable and fun and huggable and all of that. There's something about us that God created with us that will draw us to him. In Matthew 16, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said this, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up, if you give up your life for my sake, not for yours, but for mine, God says, you will save it. You'll find it. And then Jesus asks two questions. The first question, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? But what? Lose your soul. The answer to the question, there's absolutely no benefit. If you have all of the toys, can do everything you want because of your wealth or all of that stuff, but you forfeit your soul. I've talked to people that realize in relationships that they chose all of the stuff and the things and abandoned family. And it's tragic when it happens. And I think there's a lot of regret over the years with people that look back and say, I wish I wouldn't have. The second question that Jesus asks is, is anything worth more than your soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for his soul? And of course, the answer is that there's nothing more valuable than your soul to God, and there's nothing that you could give in exchange for your soul. Jesus did that. He did what I call what um, Ken Hapner, one of our Brethren of Christ pastors in the States, um, not the being of Christ pastors here, he had a line that in his book that he call, uh, called the unfair exchange. Jesus giving everything of blessing, having taken everything away from us that's bad, he died for that peace so that we could have the polar opposite and live a life that's meaningful and significant Matthew 9, verses 10 to 13, Matthew, the tax collector, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, I can imagine they're, they're staring them down. I imagine they're shaking their heads and shaming them. But when the Pharisees saw this, he asked, they asked his disciples, they didn't have the guts to ask Jesus, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I did not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. They know. They're just trying to figure out how to handle that. So these three stories that Luke tells in or that Luke writes in um, chapter 15, are all about losing it. They speak of a lost sheep. They speak of a lost coin. They speak of a lost son. We're going to work on that, look at the first two this morning. And I want you to note that there's a pattern in these three parables. There's always a loss. There's always a searching. There's always a finding. And there's also always a celebration a party afterwards in all three parables. 
So we're going to look at the parable of the lost sheep to begin this morning. And again, some redundancy on purpose. Um, verses 1 to 3 of, verse 5, of chapter 15. The tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This is just astounding to me that the most, most, I'm not even sure what words to use, kind of people are coming to listen to Jesus that should, by nature, run from everything he stands for. But they're coming to hear him teach. Imagine if that happened in the church. Would we respond by welcoming them and accommodating them like Jesus, or would we react like the religious leaders? <clears throat> it's a rhetorical question I'm asking myself. How would, I how would I process that as the pastor? Somebody's knocking on your door. Do you realize so-and-so is here? I would think to myself, that's kind of cool. <laughs> but would we think that way in a bigger picture? This is what's happening. Jesus is teaching and he's attracting people that should never come to see him or hear him, but they do. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complain that he was associating with sinful people, even eating with them. And so Jesus tells them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that was lost until he finds it? The answer, of course, is absolutely. It's just the logical thing for him to do. One author says that 100 sheep was an average flock for a herdsman of modest, modest means. He says that leaving the 99 is not an irresponsible act. Shepherds generally worked in teams, so this man likely left the flock to one of his companions. And it is also likely that he didn't bring the other sheep home until he found the one that was lost. The pursuit went on until he found the lost sheep. See, this shepherd is highly motivated to find that one lost sheep. And I think to myself, why would that be? He's got 99 more. One missing isn't too bad, is it? If you were losing something, would you have that kind of a mindset? Not this guy. You have to understand that this shepherd's sheep was the man's livelihood. It was his livelihood. They provided his family with food and milk. They provided wool to keep them warm in the cold winter or the cold uh, desert nights. They provided skins that they would sew together to have tents that they could live in to keep themselves safe from the elements. And even more, the sheep were a part of the family. At least for the shepherd, each one of those sheep would have been known and would have been recognized because that was his life, being with these animals. They also were a part of the family in that way, not just recognizable, but those sheep likely had a name. And if you look at John chapter 10, Jesus talks about sheep and being known by their shepherd and the sheep and the sheep and this vice versa peace. They would know them. So this is so important to him. And then this in verses five and six. And when it, he has found it, not if, but when he has found his sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders, 
I imagine the picture, um, this guy beaming with joy. I've seen actually quite a few years ago, um, an album cover um, had the singer walking along and he's got this lamb around his shoulders. And I keep bringing that into my head. It's all I see when I see this picture. And he's smiling, this great big smile because he's found this sheep. And he's about to celebrate because of this sheep. And every other shepherd in the area, neighbor, friend, family, whoever it would be, knows exactly what that would be like, would think the same way, that would feel the same way, would be troubled for that other person that's looking for his sheep, probably tried to help even. So he's incredibly motivated to find that sheep. So when he arrives home, he will call together his friends, Jesus says, and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. There was a loss, there was a searching, there was a finding, and then there was a celebration. And then Jesus says this in Luke 15, verse 7. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and turns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have never strayed away. Not physically lost, not geographically lost, not ideologically lost, but spiritually lost. There's something between me and God that needs to be rectified, and Jesus dealt with that. There have been journey, pieces of my own journey where that was the case, where I realized that if you continue to do this, this is going to be the outcome of your life. And that's when you start to make decisions about how you live your life based on what God thinks of what you're doing as opposed to what your friends think you're doing. And so God wants us to be paying attention to what he's trying to do in our lives because it's significant and meaningful in the big picture. So in John chapter 10, verses 14 to 16, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. He's talking about his disciples. He's talking about other people who have put their faith in him. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. He's alluding to the cross even before he got there. I sacrifice my life for the sheep. And then he says this, I have other sheep too that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them in also. There's other scriptures that refer to the fact that, that Jesus' ministry is not complete. Not until the people that still are outside the fold, the lost ones as he sees them, come and find faith and life in him. So when you wander off, when you get lost in life, when you realize that you're going down a road that you really want to get, you don't want to get, find the end of it, Jesus, the good shepherd who loves you deeply, wants you to be found, all of us. And it doesn't matter the age or stage of life. It doesn't matter our, our, our experience from the past. What matters of what God wants to do today and what he's speaking into our lives today he is highly motivated to see that you are found. He wants you to be part of his family, and he knows you by name. 
He knows everything about you. If he would publish everything about us, we would just be intimidated. We would, we would want to hide. But this loving God does not see us in that way to make us look bad. He makes us see ourselves that way so that we could find the alternative and be the kind of person that he's called us to be, designed us to be, wired us to be. Isaiah 43, 1, the prophet says, This is what the Lord says, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So I would be one of those that say, I belong to God. So my finances belong to God. My journey belongs to God. I've got a clear sense of my calling because I, I've tested God's prodding to me for many years, and I really understand what God wants me to do. So when people come up to me and want me to do things that, that he, God has not wired me to do, it's so easy to say, thank you, but no thank you. Even in my painting job that I have, um, there are many instances when I say, no thank you, because I just, I just don't need to. It's not my thing. It's not what I, I'm, I'm to be doing. And so I, it helps me to make decisions. Peter said this, 1 Peter 2.25, and don't miss the past tense here. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd and guardian of your souls. God gives us opportunity over our lifetime to come through that narrow door, that narrow gate to find life. And sometimes I think because of our own proclivity to do our own thing, that sometimes we go on so long that there's no more opportunity. Life has a radical way of um, ending sometimes in ways that we don't think it ever will. I was visiting my mother um, last week, um, which is where I lost my sermon, couldn't find it in her place, and I, and I was there to do some work in her bathroom, some drywall work and some painting. And, and I sat down, I sat down at the table with her. And I, I love my mother. She's, she's 83. Um, she's stubbornly committed to where she is living. And so I'm, I'm partly good with that. But I said to her, Mom, we were talking about aging. We're talking about um, how many times we see her. Those, and usually it's a couple of times a year. And uh, I literally asked her the question. I said to her, if you live to be 90, which is seven years out, if you live to be 90 and I visit you twice a year, you'll only see me 14 more times. When I learned that perspective, it just kind of stunned me. And I said to her, so I'm here because I'm fi finishing the, the bathroom but that's the other reason why I'm here, because I need to be very intentional um, in carving out time and life for my mother, just because I know that that's important for me and for her and for our broader family. And that's what Jesus kind of looks and sees in us. You have this span of life which none of us know what this means down here. 
We don't know if it's this or if it's this or if it's back here or whatever. But what we do know is God wants to spend more time with us. He wants to be close to us. He wants us to know that we can be his. Knowing the one who so deeply loves us that we can't even fathom what that could look like, but it's profoundly beautiful. And so he wants us to return to the shepherd, the guardian of our souls, because God longs for his children to return to him. He yearns for us to take steps to mend our broken relationships and to be the cause of great joy in heaven. Second parable basically just fortifies the first. It, it makes it maybe a little bit more clear, but it makes the point doubly. It's about the lost coin. Or suppose, Jesus says, a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. It's estimated that these coins are worth about one day's wage. So they're really not a lot of money. Um, but it's suggested that, that the woman's relative poverty makes a coin a major loss. So what does she do? She grabs her trusty broom and she just sweeps and sweeps and sweeps trying to find where this could be. Maybe it's, maybe it's buried in the dirt. Maybe it's fallen through a crevice in between stones. Who knows? So the sweeping she's probably hoping is that it will disturb it enough that she'd hear it tinkle somewhere so that she could find it. And she doesn't stop until she finds that coin. To me, it'd be like a piece of gold or something. A coin didn't mean a lot to her, but it did. It was huge. And so she relentlessly did everything she could to turn her house upside down to find this coin. Verse 8 says, Won't she light a lamp, sweep the entire house, and search carefully until she find it? The, the answer, of course, is absolutely yes. And so that's what she does. And she finds it. She finds what was lost. Verse 9 says, When she finds it, again, not if she finds it, because the pursuit is intended to find its result regardless of how long or how difficult the pursuit is. When she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. And you kind of think, isn't that a little over the top? Really? A few, a few coins? Most of the people that were invited, that she knew to invite, would be pretty much in the same situation of life that she would have been. There wasn't a lot of money. You don't take those kinds of things for granted. She wasn't hoarding change. She was carefully stewarding the, the, the money, the resources that she had to live her life. She may have been a widow. We don't know. But what we did know is that this really meant something to her, and she just kept moving forward until she found it. Verse 10 says this, similar to the previous parable. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. There's always this party, this celebration that's to be part of finding something. In this case, it's finding God. There are certain things that we may lose that don't overly disturb us, 
But there are other things that if we lose them, we would not leave one stone unturned, as they say, until we find it. I've experienced that. Sometimes it's losing my keys or, or whatever. You go, you go crazy, but you're not going to stop until you find it. It's too important. It was true of our granddaughter in Ikea, which was a very simple kind of a thing. To, it, it took no time to find her because this toddler granddaughter of mine that's three years old came up to some lady in a, uh, one of the, they had uniform on, and do you know where my mommy is? So we heard it on the intercom. So me and my, me, me and my one son were scrambling all over the place. Meanwhile, we're, they're texting us saying, you can come back now. Why? Because she was found. And were we excited? Absolutely. The woman lost a coin that was worth about a day's wage. The question is, how attached are you to your stuff? that it would be so significant that if you lost something or whatever happened to it, it would freak you out as opposed to, hmm, <laughs> there's the difference. If you lost something or it was taken from you, at what point or what value would you go overboard looking for it until you found it? Because we put prices on all kinds of things. We value things more than others. Um, I just bought a new, a new dolly to carry my painting supplies around because the one that I had was inferior <laughs> and it wasn't helpful and it was a lot of things. So I justified getting it because I can use it, but I demoted the other one and I'm not sure what I'll do with it, um, but it had lost value to me and it wasn't helpful anymore. So the new one, I really, I'm excited about it, but I don't idolize it. It's, it just serves a function. So how do you let your things mean something to you without overpowering you with their meaning and significance? In both parables, Jesus' lesson is about celebrating when we find things we have lost, like the shepherd with his sheep, like the woman with her coin, Jesus' bottom line is this. There's only one thing that leads to the greatest and most meaningful celebration when something, is lost, when something lost is found, and that is a person coming to faith in Christ. What have you lost? Is it something that you need to let go? If not, what do you need to do to find it? in a way that it would mean something not just to you, but significant to the Lord himself. Jesus, I just pray this week as we walk with you, as we journey through life, as we deal with the speed bumps and pitfalls and challenges that we will face, that our eye would be on you, that we'd be listening to your voice, that we'd even be assessing the value of the things around us and the, even the people in view of your perspective. And help us, God, to make wise choices. Help us to make decisions that would lead to life in other people. And God, may our lives be so rich in our journey with you that others would be attracted to you through us. And God, receive the glory this morning, I pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you this week. Thank you again for coming. There's coffee.
out in the foyer and enjoy that and also enjoy one another's company. God bless you as you go.